Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Dan Shabell, author of Back to Human. If you want to learn more about how to build relationships the right way, you should listen to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Today, I am really excited, surprise, surprise, for another awesome guest that's coming on the show. His name is Dan Shabell. He is a New York Times bestselling author of more than one book, Promote Yourself and Me 2.0. And his third book is coming out this week called Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation, which is obviously a book about connection relationships. So it's definitely something that really coincides with a lot of the things that we talk about on the show. Highly recommend going and picking up a copy of that book. He's also the host of Five Questions with Dan Shabell, a podcast where he interviews a variety of world-class humans by asking them five questions in less than 15 minutes. So before we get into that really quickly, go ahead and screenshot that you're listening to this right now. Upload that screenshot to your Instagram story and tag me at Travis Chappell, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L, and tag Dan at Dan Shabell, S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L. And that way we know you're listening to the show and we can go in there and say what's up, connect with you over on the Instagram DMs where all the magic happens. But for now, go ahead and enjoy my conversation with Dan Shabell. Dan, super stoked to be here with you, my man. Why don't you go ahead and start off by telling us what you're most excited about right now? Hey, Travis, thank you so much for having me on your show. I am very excited about 
this movement of back to human and really encouraging people to become more self-aware of how and when and where they're using technology and use technology as a bridge to human connection rather than a barrier. So many people, especially in our generation, in the workplace, even outside the workplace, use technology as a crutch. It's easier to send a text than to pick up the phone. Voicemail has been, you know, eviscerated from our society. You know, I, <laughs> my grandma leaves voicemail. My dad leaves voice. My dad you know, is going to be 76. So it's very rare to do that. Now it's like maybe a voice memo, but mostly text. And actually we tap our phone over 2,600 times a day and look at our cell phone every 15 minutes. So there's certainly addiction and not having your cell phone is the new vacation. That's what it's come to. People are working around the clock in a way are taking advantage of workers because of this technology, but workers are also addicted, so they bring it on themselves. So I think this movement is about creating the awareness and uh, self-awareness of, hey, I might be using this too much, Mm -hmm. and it might be causing me a great deal of isolation between the people I'm managing, my teammates, my husband or wife, my girlfriend, boyfriend, children, you name it, right? And so you're seeing even in our society now, like people, when they have... uh, dinner with their family, they all put their phones in the center of the table. And mm-hmm. I, there's many stories about how you know, leaders force their coworkers and teammates to put their phones in the table while they have meetings. So like, it's starting to happen slowly, but we're, what I'm trying to do is make people realize that this is an issue and it's really causing them harm and making them feel more disconnected rather than connected because it, technology creates the illusion of connection. Yeah, totally, totally. So typically at this point, I like to go back and talk about like kind of how you got started and all this. But since we're talking about this, I kind of have a couple of questions for you on this. So what are some practical ways that we can actively make sure that we are not letting technology run our lives, but in a practical sense? Obviously, like you're saying, like a lot of people, including myself, you know, our livelihood depends on stuff that comes through our phone. But at the same time, I'm totally on board with the fact that a lot of times it's going to be distractions. So is there like time that you need to schedule out for emails, Facebook messages, Instagram direct messages? Is there a time that you should put your phone away at night and pick it up in the morning? Like just a few practical tips and ideas. <laughs> you're you're giving the tips, some of the tips right now. I love it. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, something as simple as Using technology in order to sync with everyone's calendars, like we did with this podcast, making sure everyone knows that they have a meeting or a podcast at a specific time. And then, but once you're in that podcast, not, you know, pay attention to being interviewed in the podcast and don't text a friend while you're trying to give an answer. Yeah. What did you just say? I wasn't. <laughs> and, and even right. in a meeting, you know, you got to that conference room because of technology and that's great. But now that you're in that conference room, actually be present there. You know, the first slide of my keynote is so powerful. It's somebody, it's like a cartoon and it's someone on the New York subway and the person is just looking straight and everyone else is on an iPad or an iPhone. So it's like they're there, but no one else is there, even though they're there, right? Right. Right. So it's like you can be somewhere without physically, but not mentally. Mm -hmm. And I think that, really prevents human connection and it creates the feeling of loneliness. And I interviewed the former U.S. Surgeon General of the United States, and he said that loneliness, the health risks you get and reduction of life you get from loneliness is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So it's a huge dilemma. People suffer from it. About a half of Americans are lonely or report they're lonely always or or often. So it's a huge issue in the U.K. too. You have over 9 million people saying that they're lonely. 
and about 200,000 people in the UK haven't talked to a, a close friend or relative in the past month. So they have a minister of loneliness that was appointed the past year that's trying to fix it because it's a multi-billion dollar issue for the economy as well and just the overall health and well-being of the community. But going back to your saying, it's like, we need to be conscious of how we're using it, right? So like right, if technology exactly. like artificial intelligence has been built to eliminate routine tasks, to take away the jobs from the economy, we don't really want, but some people need it for money to support their family, eliminate some of these tasks that we don't want to do. But then what's left once you eliminate all these tasks and all these jobs is humanity. It's understanding how to work with people. And so I think that the advancement of technology is forcing humanity out from us because of Maslow's hierarchy of needs too. You know, like you need shelter, you need food and love before you can be self-actualized. You can't reach your full potential if you're worrying about those needs the need to have people around you that you trust and that care about you. And in the workplace, what I found with the study uh, I work on with Virgin Pulse of over 2,000 managers employees is that almost 10% of all workers worldwide have zero friends at work and half have five or fewer. (laughs) And that's a big issue because we're spending so much time at work, especially in America. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, Germany is fighting for a 28 hour work week. Parts of Europe have a 30, you know, France has a 35 hour work week, five week, you know, guaranteed paid vacation. In America, some people are working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, not getting additional money. So they're getting burned out. And that's the cause of up to half of all turnover within a company. And if you hate your job, if you don't like what you do, it's going to ruin the relationships you have outside of work because work is so connected to not just our identity, but to, the feelings and emotions we have outside of work with the people we care about the most. So my goal in life is not just to help us, you know, our generation through their whole career path from student to CEO with each book, Me 2.0 was college, your first job, promote yourself with first job to management. This book is a leadership book. It's also to create a healthier work environment so that it benefits someone's entire life. Because what's happening now is people want to bring their whole self or their whole human to work. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to bring all this excitement, all these different things that are going on in their personal life into work because, you know, you're spending so much time with these people. You want to get to know them. You want something deeper than just, hey, good job in that project, you know, and right. yeah, it's exactly. continuous, you know. And so I think giving recognition through a text can be cool, but I think there's a big difference between that and standing up in front of your whole team and pointing out that John or Mary did an excellent job. There's nothing that can replace that. And what, what's happening in corporate America is so many people are relying on the collaborative tools that I think are great. And it's, you know, you're able to distribute knowledge and ideas very quickly, but there's nothing like being near a person. It's like what Apple is doing with their new headquarters. You know, it's for over 12,000 employees are spending billions of dollars because having a big facility enables people to bump into each other in the hallway and exchange ideas and maybe build a relationship that way. And, and those ideas can be the next great innovations. Hmm. So what's really fascinating is he did two studies, one with people before they started out in the workforce and one with people who were working for one or two years and did a comparison. And we said, young people, before they enter the workforce wanted to work in a physical office space over telecommuting. Once they get into the workforce, they appreciate and want a physical office space more. Hmm. 
And so I thought it was going to be less because of the rise of telecommuting. Yeah, right. You know, exactly. What's happening, which is really fascinating and part of the Virgin study is if you work remote, you're much less likely to want a long-term career at your company. Really? A third of the global workforce works remote always or very often, yet two-thirds are disengaged and lonely. And it's because you're not getting the face-to-face interactions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about getting the freedom and flexibility to work remote and saving on commuting costs. There's a dark side to working remote. I've worked for almost eight years mm-hmm. and it can be very isolating if you're not good at self-management, if you don't use the technology to have meetings or to use video conferencing or pick up the phone. And because of that, you feel less connected to the company. You know, especially people our age, we look at our manager as our work parent and our team as our work family. If that family is very close and tight and communicates very often and has you know physical contact, you're less likely to want to leave for an extra five or ten thousand dollars that you might be offered by a different company. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with. Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. Do you feel like a lot of that, like loneliness and everything that you would get from working remotely has to do with also like the way that people manage their social lives as well? Because I I work obviously remotely, you know, we're both working remotely right now, <laughs> recording this podcast, right? And for me, it's always been a direct correlation to how I manage my time outside of the way that I work with my show. You know, like I don't have coworkers. I'm technically a quote unquote solopreneur or whatever you want to call it. But for me, it's more like the time that I'm not sitting here doing my podcast, I'm also not sitting on my couch watching Netflix. I'm out like doing stuff. I'm at the gym. I'm interacting with people or hanging out with friends or doing stuff that actually gets me in front of people. Do you think that that has a, like, a big thing to do with it as well? Or is it more just like the workplace because of how much time you spend there? I think it's all about expectations. If you're working for a company, you expect 
to be able to, or you desire to get along with the people you work with. That is a huge impact on your employee experience, right? So you can like the work you do, but if you don't like who you're doing it with, you're only going to stay at the company so long. You know, the, if you have friends, especially best friends at work, you're going to be much more productive, happy, and just overall, you're going to be able to stay with the company longer. You're going to be more committed to your team and organization as a result of those connections. So, and those connections are not going to be strong if you only use technology. But if you use technology for in certain situations, but in others, for instance, if you get in a, a fight with a coworker, you don't want to just text them. That's not going to work. It's actually interesting. It, you know, people rely on email way more than face to face. Like email is the biggest crutch based on the research. It, one face to face conversation is more effective and successful than thirty four emails exchanged back and forth. So instead of going back and forth and trying to get a point across where there might not be mutual understanding because you don't have any body language or facial expression when you are communicating, no, like there's no tone, nothing. All you have to do is pick up a phone or walk, you know, to the next cubicle office and say, "This is what I mean." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's about understanding too. And communication is important in business and outside in our personal relationships. You know, if you're not constantly communicating how you feel and what you're doing to your partner or your friend, then there's going to be miscommunication. There'll be lack of understanding. People will come up with stories about situations that might not be true. People might get the wrong impression and the relationship is hurt as a result. And this happens in the workplace. So one big thing here for me is that a lot of it sounds like there needs to be a big adjustment with the way that companies are running their businesses, right? The way that they're running their company culture, the way that they're having their employees work, trying to have more ways for their employees to connect with each other and get to know each other instead of just like work together and have to get a project done or something like that. I think a lot of that is coming and there's a lot of innovative companies like you were talking about that are doing more of those things. But obviously, it's going to take a few decades for it to completely phase out and transition into the next portion of working in the country. So at this juncture, the like if somebody's sitting at their job right now and they don't like their job and don't have any friends at their work, how can they be more proactive? Or should they go look for a job at a company that helps them do those things better? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. It's a lot of these situations can be solved in the recruiting process. You should be interviewing the recruiter, not just the other way around. Right. Right. Get to know the people you'd end up working with, really assess those personalities and do your homework on them because those relationships are going to play a major role into your overall success and longevity at that company. One yeah. of the interesting things that I discovered over the past year is that only 20% of companies have offsites. Offsites being, you know, you and your team go to another physical location outside of your corporate office space and you engage in some sort of team activity, maybe something fun, a barbecue, something cool, right? Where you can actually bond with your teammates. Only 20% of companies do it. That's Yet incredible. in the Virgin study, it's crazy. Those type of social events is the number one thing that people want to establish deeper connections, which feels obvious, yeah. right? Like, you know, and it, you know, what's really interesting in the workplace. I don't know if I talk about it as much in the book, but people just have lunch at their desk now because people are overworked and they, people just come up with all these types of excuses not to have a human interaction, hmm. right? And so yet, if you took a coworker to lunch once or twice a week, you would get to know them better outside of the work you actually do because when you're eating with someone, when you're taking a walk with someone, other things surface rather right. outside of work. And I think that's really important, especially because you spend so much time with these people. 
So if you don't like them, if you don't know them well, there's no loyalty there. There's no sense of meaning. You know, it's not just me, but everyone talks about meaningful work. Part of meaningful work is derived from the work and what you, who you do it with. Hmm. Yeah. So do you, Dan, believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? I always said back, back when I was even 22, 23, it's who you know, who they know, and know, who knows you. And the who knows you is kind of like this idea around personal branding is you want more people to know of you than you know of people because then you are making a bigger impact. But I think what it comes down to is you want to help as many people as possible, bridge relationships, be an arbiter of connections between other people so that if someone's trying to meet someone else, you know, you could be that link for them and bridge. I'll go into a meeting with someone who's ultra successful. And in the meeting, I ask one question, who are the top two people you want to meet that'll make the biggest impact in your career right now? And then either during that meeting, if it's a phone call or in that meeting, or within three minutes when I leave that meeting, those introductions are made. So it's huge impact in a very short period of time. And it's with successful people. So the person on the other side is more likely to respond to that introduction. And when I do that introduction, it's extremely thoughtful. I'm already like depicting the whole relationship and how it's going to pan out for both people. Yeah. Talk to me about that. That's something I'm interested in hearing about because um, this is a question that I've actually totally out of, like totally surprised me when I started doing this stuff. And obviously I have a podcast about networking. And this is a question that kept coming up. Like, how do I introduce somebody to somebody? And to me, it like when I first started doing it, it seemed kind of obvious, but it's definitely not. And there's way there's good ways to do it. There's ways to set up a relationship for success. There's ways to not set it up for success. Can you talk about like what a proper introduction looks like when you are connecting to people? Yeah. First, I do few, but very thoughtful connections, right? So I put a lot of time behind fewer connections and I have to feel like it's going to benefit both parties. Hmm. Because I learned back in the day, back, I think maybe 24 years old, I interviewed George Foreman and he always said, you know, you need both parties to win equally because if one benefits more than the other, it won't be a long-term relationship. So that stood with me from all those years. So I'm very thoughtful. I have to really envision. I I even look like a few years out, you know, are these people going to really benefit from each other? And then I'll do the intro. I got to really believe it in my heart that it's going to work. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. I, you know, it was my gut. It's what I felt at the time. So I always do the best I can. And when you send an intro outlining what the relationship could look like and how both parties could benefit from each other. No matter what happens, both people see the thought and effort that went into it and will respect it either way, even if it doesn't pan out. Yeah. So that, that's how I look at life. What's really interesting from a networking perspective for your audience is back in college, I was taught like most college students, hey, just pass out your resume and your business card and hope for the best. <laughs> Once I graduate, no, it's awful advice. You know, I, I loved my head of career services. It's like yeah. it might not even be her fault. But yeah. when I graduated, well, um, it's a lot of the, a lot of it. I think is the education system's fault. To be honest, like I don't mean this to disparage any people in those positions, but a lot of them just got taught what to do, and then they went into teaching, and then teach what they got taught, not what they went out into the real world and like did and became successful at. I think it's kind of like a vicious cycle. But anyway, go ahead. And then when I graduated and I started blogging, I realized that so many people were asking for help. And so everyone, every successful person has two things in common. One is they want to be more successful. Two is they want to be recognized for that success. 
Yeah. Those two things were key. And I knew this when I was 22 years old. And so, you know, I was writing 12 blog posts a week, but then I was like, okay, well, this has got to be more than me. And so I started interviewing people and I've interviewed over 2000 people since I graduated school. So it's people you've never heard of before because everyone starts with, you know, with the people who are maybe less successful and then you grow, 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 grow. And now it's like, I interviewed Anthony Bourdain before he died last year. I mean, it's, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. Warren Buffett, like really big people, but it was always about shining the light on others, right? And using that as a learning experience and allowing their message to help more people. And so, you know, a portion of the people I've interviewed over the years, I've met in real life. Back in the day, you know, the shy introvert, you know, it's very hard for me to just meet people. Like even on the phone, I'd be like, pick up the phone to, you know, interviewing Goldie Hawn, and I'd just be so nervous. Like, is oh, this yeah. over? Is this over? Is this over? <laughs> No, it's very. I was very stressed back then because was, I pushed myself outside of my comfort zone. So it was very tough at first, and then over time, like now, even with the new podcast, Five Questions with Dan Shabell, I've leaned into who I am. Hmm. My interviews are very short, but they're very thought out, and it's not just taking advantage of the fact that people have less and less time now, and they're looking to save time. And you know, you can listen to this podcast, you know, between meetings. It's really because you know I suffer from anxiety and I'm leaning into that anxiety by having a shorter podcast that plays to my strengths. Mm-hmm. So, And this is just about self-awareness and figuring myself out. Like, There's a reason why I've always had the same format since I graduated school. And it's not just because I thought it was fun or it'd be easier to write or any of that. It's because it's like psychology. It's something deeper that was happening and why I had that format and kept it for so long. Right. But it was always about shining the light on others and then using the technology to bridge relationships. You know, like it was so funny, like my friend Jenny Blake, who you may or may not know, I was her first blog comment. I commented in every single blog that mentioned personal branding back in my early 20s, all of them, even for people who had no subscribers and had a blog that was just unattractive. It was my dedication to the industry back then. It really helped. It's what I'm doing on Instagram right now. Hmm. And she remembered it. And eventually we both moved to New York and we became good friends. Now it could have stopped right at the blogging level of us just exchanging virtual conversations, but it didn't. Right. And so I, right. I think once that happened and others happened, you know, along the way, I'm like, oh my God, human connection. We got to get back to human. We have to go deeper with ourselves and, and really figure out how we tick. And once you figure yourself out, once you understand that relationships are all about giving to others, you'll be able to build stronger relationships and that will lead to things in life, whatever they might be, but you can't expect others to do things for you. And I think that last part's hard. And Mm -hmm. I've been, over the years, I've trained myself to let go and not be entitled. Yeah. Yeah. Eliminating those potential covert contracts that you keep in your head has got to be probably one of the most difficult parts of of being able to give without expecting anything in return. And it's also why I only do a book every five years. Because I can't psychologically go back every year and ask for favor. Like ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you do a book every year, a book is a time when you have to ask for favors. And I don't like asking for favors. So I like there being enough time between books that I don't have to ask for favors. That's just what my comfort level is. Whereas other people want to publish more often. That's the only thing I can wrap my head around. Right. Right. Because I don't, I never want to be seen as someone who's just taking and taking and taking. I always want to support the community because it's mm-hmm. the community that has helped me build my whole career. 
Yeah. And I love what you said about shining light on others. That's something that is a ring so true, I think, in a networking space is people always want to shine the light on themselves. People always want to talk about how good they are or how what they've accomplished or what they've seen and, and stuff like that. And always shining the light on other people, edifying other people, especially within the context of making introductions. That's one of the biggest things to keep in mind is to edify, shine the light on others, talk about how great they are and what they're doing and how awesome it is and how you're proud to know like there's just so many things psychologically that go into that and i think you hit the nail on the head by using that phrasing so talk to us about this new book a little bit more here dan it's coming out here we're recording this right now uh, it'll be a couple of months but when we release it it'll be out so can you talk to us like give us like one takeaway that you want the audience to get from reading your book and then tell us about where they can find it I think the most important chapter in the book, and I hope that other people agree, is chapter nine. So you have to get it through all these chapters and then you get chapter nine and it's like the chapter. It's the hardest one to write. It's called Lead with Empathy, right? And there's this, even a section on there, Lead with Empathy in the Me Too era, which my publisher wanted me to write. And it was pretty nerve wracking. And I think that chapter is really important because you know I've been in many situations in the past few months where I see a lack of empathy in the world. Yeah. You know, I'll give you one example was in Santa Monica, California, I was running and then I, I fell, I was like really close to falling on my face and no one even cared. It was like nothing. No one even looked at me, nothing. I got no empathy from anyone and that really hurt me. And then the other time was I was scammed out of $400 in New York. And I, I told people, I'm like, oh my God, like I was like really fearful for my life that this guy was going to hurt me. And people were calling me dumb and foolish and what's wrong with you. And so those are just two examples, but this happens everywhere. Mm. And so chapter nine is like a rallying cry for leaders to really take a step back, to really understand what others are going through. Everyone has it hard. You know, there's so many mental illnesses. A third of you know Americans at least are depressed or have anxiety and you just got to take a step back. It's like there's an example in the book of a, an employee who, went, who emailed their manager and said, can I have a mental health day off? And the manager was accepting of it, right? He was a good leader at saying, yeah, absolutely you can. Mm -hmm. And 10 years ago, you would not be able to pull that. The manager would completely ignore that person or think less of them. Right. But I think we have to be more understanding, especially because people are working so hard and so many hours and we need, there needs to be a give and take on both parts. And managers who are more understanding will build stronger relationships and trust that will lead to more productivity, happiness, well-being, and just being a good person. At the end yeah. of the day, let's be a good person. Yeah. That's that's so funny how often it just comes back down to that. Like we'll talk and talk and talk. And then at the end of it, it's just like, you know what? Just just be a good person. Like, like stop being such a Yeah, I was I was talking to one of my really good friends, Shane Snow, about three hours ago. And I was interviewing him for my podcast. I'm like, Shane, like one of the things that you're great at is you just are helpful. I like the word helpful because mm -hmm. He, someone asks him something, he's just, he can point you in the right direction. He's just really savvy like that. That's why I get along with him. Mm -hmm. Just be helpful. Even if you don't have time to do something, just point people in the right direction. It's like even in New York, someone's like, oh, how do I find this street? I just be helpful. You know, I'll put up, I'll, you know, use Google Maps or if I know the street, I'll just direct them. It's like the small little things that can really help someone. Yeah, totally. Well, cool, man. Let's go ahead and move into the last segment here. We're running out of time. Something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Yep. What profession other than your own do you think you would be fun to attempt? Yeah. I think if I were to start 
my career again, I would be a shrink. I love psychology. I've always liked psychology. I think the one thing that turned me off psychology when I was in college was freshman year, I took psychology and my professor was crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So he, all of his tests were like impossible to take and he bribed everyone. He said, if you want me to drop your worst test, you have to take a Latin dance class because this girl that he like fell in love with was the teacher. That's hilarious. Everyone in this girl's class was from my class, my psychology class. That's so And it's just like, oh, it was just so weird and bizarre. It's like turned off by that. Yeah. For yeah, sure. but just but now, like I'm obsessed with psychology. I'm so curious why people do certain things and not others, and totally in the outside the workplace. So I'm like pretty good now. Of if I meet someone, I can tell if they hate their job or not. I can just I just know a lot more now because I've been right. studying it and through self reflection experience. And I just I think that's the best way you can you can help someone is to understand them. And psychology helps you do that. So I, I would say being a shrink. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk with them for an hour, who would it be and why? Yeah, this one's easy too. I mean, Tom Peters, for sure. I interviewed him many years ago. And now, I mean, he's just like, he created the whole business book genre. If In Search of Excellence didn't sell millions of copies, there would be no business books today, potentially. There always has to be with every business, there needs to be some product that takes off for a whole industry to be formed. And so there was a whole industry built off of one book that he wrote. And he, he, there would be no Fast Company magazine without him. And hmm. so he, his one article in Fast Company influenced my whole career. Wow. And so I think, and I've tried, I've tried, you know, he guys incredibly busy. I've used a lot of resources and I'm, I'm not going like, to give up. Of course not. But, yeah. you know, it's all about <laughs> timing with people at that level. And I say, if I sat next to him on the park bench, it would just be fun because I know he can relate to anyone regardless of age. Like you could just tell when I interviewed him on the phone, I'm like, wow, like I, I feel like I'm, you know, his son or something. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's incredible. That's who the real leaders are. You know, the people that can connect with the janitor just as well as they can connect with the president of the United States. You know, it's just, those are the people that I like to talk to. Exactly. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? I like to, I actually don't listen to many podcasts. What I do is I'm an avid reader. I'm a writer, I'm a reader, and I'm constantly looking at things that are relevant to my interests and to my work. So anything labor-related in terms of every study, I've reviewed almost 8,000 research studies since I graduated college. Oh, wow. So I love it. I'm a research junkie. I love trends. I like to know from a macro level, what's impacting people. And then from a micro level, like what's the heartbeat of the work, you know, what's going on in the labor force. And then what's the heartbeat of the workforce? What are people actually feeling on the job and at home? And that's something that I'll always enjoy. It's been over 10 years. So I think that that is something that I study. And so it's a lot of article reading. It's research papers, article reading. I don't watch TV at all. The court has been cut for almost two years now. So I try to eliminate the junk, the stuff that's distracting and focus more on the things that are meaningful to me. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. It changes somewhat, but my basic morning routine is exercise, cooking breakfast, and reading for between a half hour and an hour on things going on in my world. So it's, it's a combination of those three things. What I do the night before is I set goals for the upcoming day. And for Instagram or podcasting, I'll do the production at night for publication the next day. So just getting in that habit, but I'm flexible. If, if it makes more sense for me to adapt to another routine, I will. But as long as something's working, I just keep doing it. 
that's a habit, right? Totally. Right. Exactly. What is your go-to pump-up song? Oh my God. Right now or in general? I don't really have one in general because I'm all about fresh music. A lot of EDM. There you go. Because, yeah. because in general, that music is pump-up music. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. If it. that doesn't get you going, I don't know what, what will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm definitely really into that. Like this uh, crisscross Amsterdam song, Whenever. Mm. And then Kygo, Born to Be Yours. Those are two ones that I like, that are, but they're all new, right? I get, yeah, I get right, sick right. of music very quickly. Like I love this song. Gotta keep Danica, it fresh. You know, Falling in Love by Danik. I, I really like that one now. So it's just always fresh. There's always yeah. new stuff coming out, especially in today's world. It's not like you have to wait five years for right. you know, some <laughs> studio head to give you the green light. Exactly, exactly. What is something that you are just not very good at, Dan? I'm not good at a lot of things. I would say sports I'm really bad at. Growing up, I was like the last person to be picked for just about everything. <laughs> um, I was decent at tennis, but I guess because I was the captain for JV in college and then I was on varsity, but like, did I deserve to be on both teams? I don't know. That's debatable. <laughs> I don't think I was that great, right? Yeah. And yet our culture probably like, you know, looks up to athletes. So that was interesting. And especially like even summer camp, it was a sports camp. So like it was very hard to fit in there and do right, you know, right. make the most use of camp because I just wasn't that great. And I knew that. Like I over time, like I know what I'm good at, what I'm not. And I, I lean more into things that I am good at, right? I think yeah, that's what Mark Cuban says. It's like don't follow your passion, follow your energy. Like mm. if, if something is giving me a lot of energy, I just keep doubling down and doubling down and doubling down. And I've learned to avoid distractions because you know, as you're building your network, as you're doing a lot of things, like everyone wants your time. And so I'm very smart about what I invest time in. And I have to remove all those voices in my head from all these people who are saying, Dan, you should be starting a tech company. You should be doing all this stuff because I know that's not for me. Right. And it, it just takes experience over a long period of time to know what's for you and what's not. And once you really have your mission down and once you have enough experience, you learn enough about yourself and your abilities and, and what you're strong at, just Focus on that. Double down. Yeah. As we get everything wrapped up here, Dan, what is one place online where we'll be able to find you and your new book? Yeah. Everything is on danshawbell.com. That's S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L. And that's, you know, you go on Amazon and type back to human and listen to my podcast, Five Questions with Dan Shawbell. So for more from Dan, head over to danshawbell.com, shawbell, S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L.com and check out some of the stuff he's got going on over there, social media sites, everything. If you want to pick up a copy of his new book, highly recommend doing that. And then also checking out the podcast. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Absolutely. Thanks, Travis. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds on the show because they're literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. If this is something that you are interested in at all, then hit me up and let's chat to see if you'd be a good fit for my mastermind, Build Your Network Dynasty. Just head over to buildyournetwork.co slash dynasty to fill out an application and we'll talk soon. Have a fantastic rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.